Hello and welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technical Director at Bayside. This week, we discuss with Pastor Ken Carlson on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. We hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, hello and welcome back to the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. This week, we are with Pastor Ken and we are discussing the second half of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, and this sermon is about why Jesus came. Now, as we have the last couple of weeks, let's start with some questions from the congregation. All right, so question one, given the context of grace in this passage and the mention of legalism earlier in the chapter, can one conclude that the blasphemy that Hymenaeus and Alexander are guilty of is related to legalism, or is there insufficient information to draw that conclusion? Um, I would say there's insufficient information to draw that conclusion. Um, I think the emphasis on the blasphemy here is, especially when you go and look at verse 9, where Paul um, lists um, that whole um, list of uh, sins. So if you're looking at your Bible in 1 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 1, uh, in verse 9, he, he talks about the law not being made uh, for righteous. So yeah, in 1 Timothy 1, earlier uh, in the passage Dave preached uh, in 9, he says the law uh, is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary. So I think now he's going back and he's in verse 13, he's saying, well, I was um, a, a blasphemer. And then he goes down to uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander and um, says that they're also, they were also guilty of blasphemy. So I think the emphasis there is maybe not so much on uh, a connection between um Blasphemy and legalism, you know, blasphemy um, being, you know, the actual verbal um, uh, mocking and rejection of Christ, his work, uh, and the church. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure that that would be considered the legalism, but I think that the legalism would be right uh, in Paul's mind right up there uh, with the blasphemy, just just as dangerous. Um, yeah, and just as, as deadly for some. Okay. Thank you. All right, question two. Paul refers to himself as the foremost of sinners, in, and he's using the, the present tense uh, in this particular uh, section. Uh, we often hear uh, here at Bayside that for those who are in Christ, we are no longer sinners, nor are we sinners saved by grace, but we are saints. Now here Paul, who is in Christ in this moment, uh, is referring to himself as a sinner, and emph- emphatically as well when he's saying that I am the foremost. Uh, how do we reconcile this? Uh, that's good. I think uh, con- I think the context is key for understanding this. That's a really good question. And this is, I think, maybe, um, don't hold me to this. If someone out there wants to uh, uh, check me on this, please go ahead. But I'm pretty sure this is like, one of the only, or if not one of the only times Paul uh, says, I you know, refer, uses present tense and uses sinner. Um, and I think when you look at the context, it's because he's te- giving his testimony. And why he didn't say I was, um, I think it could may also be explained by the emphasis uh, in that 
passage in that verse on uh, the word. Uh, some translations say chief, um, others say foremost. Um, the Greek word there is is uh, pro protos, uh, and so it's really first. So the fact that I think he's kind of holding himself up positionally as um, you know exhibit A of God's transforming grace, um, you know that that's 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 the, that's that same Saul. Well, hey, that's me, um, just transformed by God's grace. So, uh, so I think context there uh, is important in in that it's one of the only spots uh, where he is uh, saying that he's he's a sinner. Um, but I think all of the uh, numerous other times kind of uh, shed a lot more light on understanding this than this would. Uh, shedding light on all of the other times where he doesn't say that, um, and and I think the the whole emphasis there, the takeaway is that Paul is carrying him with himself, um, not only the the idea and, and and the truth of being someone who was um, who has victory because they were once justified, but also he has that joy because he has that he lives in that constant awareness of who he was and who he is now. So that's really, I think, the the key that we want to pull away from that. Now, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times that, that Paul here is uh, telling his testimony to Timothy. Um, now, at this point, uh, as we spoke with Dave last week, Timothy and Paul are well acquainted. Mm -hmm. Why do you think Paul is taking the time to probably, for the umpteenth million time going over his testimony with uh, with Timothy. Yeah, well, good question. Uh, number one, I knew, uh, number one, Paul knew that this wasn't only going to be read to Timothy, or only going to be for Timothy. Um, I think he understood that the letter was going to be used for others. Uh, but the other reality there is the fact that Timothy needed to be reminded of all the people he's serving because of his his background in Ephesus. Ephesus is a dark place. It's it's a bustling city. Um, you could kind of it's a, it's a harbor city. There it was known for trade, known for um, some a medical school, known for uh, so much commerce. It had a huge uh, idol worship, a big temple to Artemis there. So it's against this crazy backdrop, this dark backdrop. I mean, we look at 2023 uh, America. Um, and I mean, Ephesus, I think, would kind of make us <laughs> look pretty good. Um, and so I think Paul is reminding Timothy and using it to teach others his testimony in that, hey, remember how far God brought me, the other people that you're ministering to, that you have been called to minister to the gospel to and to be a light to are people who um, are just like me. And if there was hope for me, there's going to be hope for everybody because that is how great God's grace truly is. So I think that is uh, also one of the reasons. All right. Now turning to our discussion points for this week. Question one, how would people describe your life before you met Jesus? Uh, and you, you give a lot of options here for how people can describe their life before Jesus. Fast and furious, party time, one big mess, can't touch this, as in legalism, you know, you're not allowed to do this, can't do that, can't do that. Rowdy, wild and crazy, fairly routine, uh, one big brawl, or other. And, and you shared a bit of your your past and your introductory to the, to the sermon, so it, it really does help us, uh, I think, if we reflect on those times and 
and think about, okay, how far has Jesus brought us? He's brought us from death to life. And and that's the, mm. the key hope that you, you take away from your new experience with Jesus is that for the first time, you you are spiritually alive. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, you got to hear uh, a lot of whoever's listening got to hear, you know, bits and pieces of mine, of my background, my testimony. Um, Marcus, can I ask you, <laughs> how would you answer that? Um, I grew up in a very legalistic household. The, the church that I was a part of uh, would have a lot of restrictions on what you can do, what you can say, very restrictive on certain teachings from the Bible, taking things too far. We were very strict about observing communion. Like if you uh, were to miss communion, that, that was a sin. One, there was one time that there was a meeting that had gone as far as the men decided just to be on the safe side because of a misinterpretation of, of Paul's talking about women asking questions of their husbands at home. Uh, they had decided that women were not to speak at all, even in Sunday school. Uh, so they, they, wow. they just to be on the safe side of that scripture, they, they were not going to have women talk in a mixed Sunday school class. Hmm. So very, that's, very strict. <laughs> that's legalistic. For and, sure. and legalistic. And, and I was lucky to break away. Uh, I actually forced out. In my 20s, I was being mentored by uh, a, a preacher. They, they wouldn't use the word pastor because they, they, they defined that differently. Uh, so I had a, uh, a mentor that was bringing me up to follow in his footsteps and lead the church, ordained in, in that denomination, and was preaching every couple of weeks and then when my wife was finishing her college degree we were uh, moving away and I had already given my notice and on my final weekend to preach they came to me and threw me out because I didn't have control of my wife hmm. um, so looking back on it, God pulled me out of there forcefully. Wow! And um, put me on a new path. New path of discovering <laughs> grace. <laughs> exactly. Well, grace the hard way. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I do mean, look at it like one of Paul's stories that he tells in Acts is uh, he he gives the the example of uh, Jesus talking to him and saying, "Paul, why do you kick against? Why are you kicking against the goads? The goads in the road." And what <laughs> yeah. that is, that's the tire tracks. Here's the, here's the tire tracks that I've laid for you. Just follow the tire tracks, and you're here kicking against them, tripping <laughs> over it. And so that's that's how I felt. Is that okay? Well, God is steering me in this direction. Let's not pull it somewhere else. Good. So it's and it, it's so cool how you know grace could be experienced from. Um, I guess. You know, maybe a little bit of a description of my background would be uh, licentiousness, mm. um, and grace is just as needed in that context as it is for uh, legalism. Yes. Um, and there, there you have the universality of grace. And thanks, thanks for sharing that, Marcus. You're welcome. 
Uh, you had threatened a few weeks ago uh, to, to make me go into some of that stuff. So thank you for, <laughs> yeah. for, for being uh, good on your word. Yeah, you got it. So the second question in the discussion points, uh, reading aloud 1 Timothy 12 through 14 to answer the, the following questions. Uh, if you could read the 12 and 14. Uh, yeah, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. All right, so you, you had four subpoints here for the questions, and we don't have to hit them all, but we can just kind of get to, to what we what we can. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hit on that first one right there. Three reasons Paul has for thanking Jesus. When I wrote that question, I was thinking, you know, I was just thinking about verse 12. Uh, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me. I mean, right there, he's he, three reasons that we could see that Paul has to be thankful. He's uh, for his, the strength that Jesus gave him because um, Jesus uh, judged him faithful, uh, meaning tr- trust him, um, and that he would trusting that he would be faithful, um, and then the fact that Jesus appointed him. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the questions there, uh, you know, it says, I th- Paul is saying, I thank him who has given me strength. Um, and in the Greek, the uh, it's not actually the word thank, it's the uh, word grace, for grace. Um, so, but the idea there is I continually thank him. He's, em- the emphasis there is on uh, Paul's continual practice. And he kind of u- sometimes uses grace in that kind of idiomatic way. He does it uh, in Second Timothy. Um, he uses the word grace again he, when he says, I thank God whom I serve, um, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. So he's using that same uh, expression there, using um, uh, the word for grace instead of the word for thank. Jesus did that in... Um, in uh, Luke 17, and when he says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded, again, that same uh, phrase using the word um, uh, for, for grace there. Um, and uh, he may have also used, wanted to use that idiom for, for grace there um, because one of the primary themes of the paragraph is about grace. Um, and that's similar to the way that when we come to the table for a meal that we say grace, exactly. but we're giving thanks. Yeah, yeah, good, good so application. It, 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 <laughs> it makes sense there right. if it's coming from the same kind of root words. Yep, very good. All right, so what was so graciously poured out over Paul was one of the questions there. And there, what, was, what were you driving at there? Yeah, well, it says, verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And I, again, I... I want to refrain from just pulling all of this apart uh, individually because I think Paul's just here. He's writing cumulatively about the, just the beauty of spiritual life, that spiritual life overflowed uh, into him because that's what God's grace does. And the final point is a reflection question of as, as you're going through this study, what different but equally important roles did God's grace and mercy play in your salvation. Um, and, and as we both kind of gave different examples of our past, uh, how grace and mercy uh, were, were both uh, great factors. And I really appreciate the, the story that you're talking about of the, the daughter who was, that, mm-hmm. that was a, a nice, nice touch there. Could you refresh that? Yeah. So um, uh, with uh, Christina, um, with her, her mom, that's the the one you're referring to, right? I think so. Yeah, because there were, there were two. There was the uh, one that I shared about um, 
about mercy and grace mm-hmm. in particular. And that was a, a simple, it was a quote from, um, from one author I, I heard that I saw that wrote, mercy is like a father who protects his sinful daughter when judgment comes courting. But before judgment is able to find her, grace captures her heart and sneaks her through the window of salvation. Then when judgment finally arrives, the, no, the daughter's no longer eligible for she's happily married in the arms of grace. So just kind of that interplay between grace and mercy. And then, um, and then a little bit later, I shared that story uh, from one of Max Lucado's books about that poor girl, Christina, who who was born in, in this poor Brazilian neighborhood, just wanted to see the world, just completely discontent with her simple life. So she up and left um, her mom and her mom set out on a search to find her, went to Rio, went to the big city, left her poor town, printed out pictures of herself, left pictures of herself everywhere, wrote a little note on the back of the pictures. And um, after she ran out of money, she eventually went back uh, to uh, her hometown, and she was, you know, praying that the daughter was going to eventually see one of those pictures, um, because she knew that for a young, attractive uh, woman to survive in uh, Rio, she's going to probably have to do some uh, pretty unthinkable things. Um, so uh, there was the story. Then is one morning, um, the the girl Christina descends a hotel in Rio, um, faces tired, uh, her her eyes only. Uh, speak of pain and fear um, and then she gets to the bottom of the stairs her eyes notice a familiar face and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mom um, and then she walked across the room and grabbed the photo off and then turned the photo over and um, written on the back was whatever you have done whatever you have become it doesn't matter please come home uh, and she did and that's you know simply a modern retelling of you know ultimately of the the parable of the prodigal son um, because that's uh, that's the beauty of God's grace. All right, as we move to the third question, covering verses uh, 15 through 17, I'll read those. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to be believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's let's tackle some of these questions. Yeah, well, let's jump down to because we we talked about a, a couple of them a little bit. The mercy, the foremost part. Um, so the first question there is the message of the gospel believable. Um, that I was simply getting at that that first verse you read there, um, where he says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I love uh, throughout um, the New Testament. Um, you know, Paul often, he, he doesn't use, you know, this like fancy uh, f- flowery language to uh, get people to understand the gospel. Or he does in, in certain respects, but not in understanding the core of it at the, at, that's based in actual and rooted in actual history. It's trustworthy. It's deserving of full acceptance. It's believable because it actually happened. Um, these aren't fairy tales <laughs> that we believe. And, and Paul made it so clear to, to get this point through time and again that this actually happened. It's believable. It's trustworthy. And because it is, 
better accept it. Right, and that believability is personal because we are all to be living examples of that salvation. That's right. Yeah. Um, which then goes to uh, one of the other questions on there is how does a person receive uh, eternal life? Um, and you see that in uh, verse 16 that you read. Um, it says uh, Jesus Christ, so that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So just simple answer. <laughs> Faith in Christ, right? That's how we receive uh, eternal life. Um, and then I love some of the qualities there that Paul ascribes to God also. Um, just uh, praising him for uh, his immortality, for his invisibility, for his eternality, for um, uh, for, for his honor, for his glory. Uh, and because you can't reflect on God's grace without breaking out into praise. Um, but one of the questions that I think is really uh, one that that gets our, 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 our the brain the juices of our brains going a little bit is the one there uh, is what is the value in remembering what you were before you saved and conversely what's the danger in not realizing the seriousness of your previous sinful state uh, that's one to, to definitely chew on um, what do you think about that yeah for for me it kind of helps me to to reflect on those times and make sure that I haven't fallen back into old habits mm. um, and making sure that as I'm teaching my kids, one, one very good example is my seven-year-old daughter was baptized a few months ago. And as we were having those conversations about baptism, without even thinking of it, some of those old dogmatic things came into my mouth and I said them and my wife looked at me like, do you actually still believe those? And I'm like, no, I don't. But it just automatically came because it was so programmed hmm. into my mind that this is what baptism is about. So it's reflecting on those times. And we do this quite frequently. We remember the dead. Mm -hmm. You know, we look back at those that have gone on before us and it's kind of the same thing. I remember who I was. Good, good word there. The dead. <laughs> yes. And 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 we move forward in life. Right. I have been crucified with Christ. Good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And um, and then I'll answer the second half of that. You know, what's the danger in not realizing the seriousness of your previous sinful state? Um, I think. Um, well, one of the things is it causes, it does cause you to kind of get a little hardened. It could cause you to get a little hardened towards uh, God's grace because um, if you're so far removed from it in your thinking, you, you forget. The other thing I think it does um, is it causes you to get hardened toward others. Boasting, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, when we don't realize the sinful state and this the sinful depths from which God pulled us, um, we're going to quickly judge those who are uh, just as deep uh, in their sinful depths as we were uh, pre-Christ. So, um, so don't forget um, who you were. Don't forget who God made you to be, and keep that in mind as you're, you know, be as you're showcasing His salvation, being a walking testimony. Uh, and don't hide from who you were either. 
share it all to the glory of God. Amen. All right, uh, the fourth question. Uh, this is over verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Uh, quick question. Has anybody ever like made prophecies about you or said, uh, put their hands on you and said, I believe, I see these things for you? Uh, I, yeah, and I'm not sure, that, not sure I'd consider that, prof- that's not prophecy, but uh, I think in Timothy's case, maybe uh, they think that actually upon laying, um, when someone, when they, the church leaders laid their hands on him, setting him apart for service, um, uh, I think it's implied here that there was maybe some kind of uh, a prophecy that was said about him. Um, but yes, in in my ordination, um, having the elders of the church lay hands uh, on me and um, acknowledge uh, God's call on my life uh, toward ministry um, and confirm um, my call, that God's call on my life, but that was, um, yeah, that that was a huge moment of being entrusted um, by uh, not only, you know, all the elders um, and not only the, by the men who previously were on the ordination council, but particularly uh, by Dave. Um, you know, it's no secret that you know, in many regards, Dave has been, is kind of my Paul. Um, so, uh, yeah, in that regard, that was a very meaningful thing. Um, so if Dave were to, were to say to me, hey, um, remember the gospel, keep focused on the gospel, um, be confident in your calling that was confirmed when we laid hands on you at your ordination. Um, that would that would encourage me. That would bolster me. And I think that's what ex- exactly what Paul is doing here uh, for Timothy. All right. So as we tackle the questions there under point four, um, can we can we get to the hard one? What what do you think it means that Paul delivered Satan? to those that would made shipwreck of their faith. Yeah, I think um I think the the simple understanding of that uh is simply that uh, Paul saying he removed those two from the fellowship of the church. Uh and fellowship of the church, right? That what he would consider the domain or maybe call the domain of, of of the spirit and then back into the world. And we know the world is the domain of Satan, uh, the prince of the power of the air. Um but so they've shipwrecked their faith. They've, they've from whatever reason, because um, they shipwrecked their faith and he wants them to learn not to blaspheme. So whatever reason, at some point, they must have made certain professions of faith um, and may have even uh, been leaders. Um, I think there are, there are a couple other examples um, where you see these names elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, which would indicate that they're some kind of church leaders. Um, and they just kind of did a 180 at some point and started to blaspheme, started to speak against Christ, started to speak against the church. So Paul says, all right, get him back out, um, put him back into Satan's domain. We're not, um, we're not judging them. We're not condemning them. The whole purpose of this is to restore them, to save them, to bring them back. He says, um, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, so Paul wants them to see their error. He wants them to, the, to repent because 
Who does he know? Who would he would say? By the way, it's not too far gone even for Hymenaeus and, and Alexander because the chief or foremost or first blasphemer, remember, was me. So, um, so yeah, I think that's all Paul's getting at when he's saying handed them over to Satan. Because eventually he wants to see them restored. Absolutely. That's his hope. That's, that's the goal. So it, would you call this a form of church discipline? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this would definitely be what we what I think we would consider the excommunication step of church discipline, the very last thing uh, that has to happen when a brother or sister uh, remains uh, unrepentant. Uh, one of the last questions under point four was, what distractions draw Christians away from their proper course? And that, that is such a broad answer because for it, it's different for everyone. It's yep. an individualistic question because what, what can draw me away may not be a distraction for you. A squirrel. Um, <laughs> so this is you know a point of reflection that as you, again, look at the dead self that, that, that was, the things that took you away, that, that distracted you, keeping those things at bay and... Uh, you know, reflect on those things during this week. And then further reflecting on what steps can you take today to ensure that your faith is on the proper course and not in danger of being shipwrecked. Uh, and that has to do with your anchor. Who Who is your anchor? What, is your anchor Jesus or are you trying to float out there on your own? Mm. Yep. That's that's good. I love that nautical talk. <laughs> yep. So so remember, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. All right. Next week, we start into chapter two. Chapter two, we're going to uh, learn a little bit about uh, prayer um, and maybe not so much about methods of praying, but more the, the motivation uh, for prayer. So, yeah, Paul's going to now start uh Telling Timothy, you know, kind of the, the first, you could kind of think of chapter one as uh, the message. Um, and chapter two would be more the uh, the members, so the members of the church. So he's going to talk about um, uh, conduct in the household of God. And he starts that off with prayer. So. All right, looking forward to it. All right, thank you so much for being with us today, Pastor Ken. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for your time, and we appreciate all of our listeners joining in our conversation today. Hope you had a blessed week.